Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Sunday, a late Sunday morning. You made it. Anybody get your extra cup of coffee? Yeah. There we go. Somebody, somebody's got some coffee. I like that. <clears throat> That's awesome. Hey, um, I, I was going to talk about, I was going to just teach about what a just war looks like because I think the Christian church is pretty uneducated on, on the church's historic position on war. And I, I'm not going to teach on that now. But I do want you to know that there are, uh, both through Scripture and through uh, the church fathers, or we call them like the church doctors, like the, the, the old, uh, basically the old pillars of faith, there are uh, positions that the church traditionally holds when it comes to combat and to, uh, to war. And I, I just, uh, I think it's important for the church to know those kinds of things. I, I know we're all... Uh, paying attention to what's going on around the world, around us. And uh, can I just say that it, it really doesn't matter uh, what a, a nation or a, or a people, what their language is, what the color of their skin is, what their culture is. Uh, when somebody is being harmed and somebody is being, uh, being violated by someone else, it is never right. It is never right, and uh, it is the church's responsibility also to speak out for justice. And that was a pretty half-hearted response. I'm just saying the church has a responsibility to respond uh, with our words and with, with the way we view things and, and teach things to each other. So we're not going to do that today, but we are, we are going to do that at some point. Right now, we're in a collection of sermons on the book of John, and uh, we're in John. John's a unique book of the Bible. Uh, there are four books of the Bible that are called the Gospels. They tell the good news of Jesus. Uh, there are the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that we call synoptic Gospels. So that means they, they tell us a synopsis, uh, a summary, uh, kind of the overarching idea of Jesus' life. And John is the fourth gospel, and John is not a synopsis of Jesus' life. In fact, John intentionally puts parts of Jesus' life in different places in the story because he's telling a specific uh, thing. In fact, John has an agenda. He has an agenda when he writes the book. I, I, and I, I love somebody with, with a clear agenda. Don't you? Like, I, I can't stand it when somebody, when they have an agenda, but you don't know what it is. You know, like, hey, can I meet with you? And you're like, I know there's something attached here. I, I know you're looking for something. Um, like, when does the other shoe drop, right? Uh, I just love somebody when they tell you what they want. And John tells us clearly why he writes the book of John the way he writes it. And he says it like this. He says, I write these things 
so that you would believe. John's purpose isn't so that you would know. It's not so that you would understand. It's so that you would believe. In fact, he says this, if I was to write everything that I could write about Jesus and his life, I don't have enough books, I don't have enough time, I don't got enough pens to write it all. So what I'm going to do is use specific things to write with the intention that you would believe. So the book of John is, uh, it's got an agenda, and it's really divided into two halves. The first half of the book of John, we call it the book of signs. John is writing the first half of the book of John to get you to believe that Jesus is God. In the second half of the book of John, John is writing what we, call, what we call the book of passion. And he's telling the account of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he also includes some other things. Well, maybe we'll get to it. It's, it's fascinating. <clears throat> um, but we're in what we call the third sign. So we're talking through the signs of John. John doesn't use the word miracles when he talks about the works of Jesus, like healing the sick, raising the dead, turning water to wine. John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. And this is very intentional. In fact, the word miracle is only used once in the book of John, and it's Jesus accusing people of looking for miracles. The book of John is written... <clears throat> To get away from the idea that I'm looking to be amazed. I'm looking to be entertained by God. Because sometimes that's our approach to him, right? Like, like God, I just want to be impressed with you. I want, to, I want my mind blown by what, I want to be excited. Like, we do the same thing uh, in the way we look for churches, don't we? Like, like, I'm looking for the church with the best music, with the really good, like, the amazing preaching. I want to be inspired. I want to be, I want the good lights. I, I want to be, I don't want to have to look for a parking spot. I want to be amazed. And John, John says, uh, let's shift our focus from uh, it being about us being impressed, and let's turn the focus towards it is something that points towards Jesus. So he says there's signs. So for him, it would be more like, instead of, I want the worship team that is the best, his thing is, I want the worship team that always points me to Jesus. Not like, I want the most eloquent preacher. No, I want, I want the kind of word that always points back to Jesus. That's, that's what John is getting at. And so in the book of John, this is now the third sign that Jesus is God. It's, it's kind of a lengthy passage, and I'm actually not going to address all of it uh, because we have baptisms in just a, a little bit. Um, but the first sign was uh, when he turns water into wine. Second sign is when he heals an official's son. Third sign is in John chapter 5, verse 1 through 18, and it says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. It's interesting how we can, um, we can believe people who begin with, um, with a position of not believing the scripture, and, and we hear what they say, and we think, because they're smart, they must be right. 
what I'm saying is this. When the scripture says something happened, uh, skeptics for years have always countered the claims of scripture by saying, even the places that these things were supposed to have happened, we can't find them. They, they don't exist. And I want you to know that every time that claim is made, you just give it enough time and you give somebody a shovel and they will find the location that it is said about in Scripture. So, for instance, right here, it's, it's talking about a pool called Bethesda by the Sheep Gate. And uh, there, there are people that have made the claim, well, this account isn't true because we don't know where this pool is. So, because it's not uh, archaeologically accurate, then it can't be historically accurate. So, it's really not a true event. And, and I just want to say, give somebody a shovel, they're going to find the spot. So in history, it says it's by the Sheep Gate. And it was called the Sheep Gate because it's one of the two gates that's located on the eastern side of Jerusalem going in towards the temple. Except the Sheep Gate was beside the temple. It was the location that people would bring their sheep through. It's called the Sheep Gate. So they'd bring their sheep through there so that they could offer them as sacrifices in the temple. And... Uh, this gate still exists. Its name and its function have changed, but it is the exact same gate that we know of in antiquity. And it's this gate right here. It's now called the Lion Gate. Um, this gate, this, is, this would be the exact same gate that Jesus is walking through in the story. Um, not like another one. It's this one. Um, it's, it's now called the Lion Gate, not because people bring lions through the gate, but because um, if you look really close, it's hard to see in this picture, but you can kind of see it on the left-hand side. There are two squares uh, just below the level of the arch of the doorway. There are two squares off to the side. And there are actually two mirroring squares on the right-hand side. And all four of those squares have carved into them uh, like, a, like a leopard or a panther, uh, maybe a tiger. It's, it's like, a, like a cat creature carved into it. Uh, it's, it's called a lion. It's really... Not, it's really a leopard, but they call it the Lion Gate because of the creatures on the wall. And so, um, so this is the spot. And, and what's amazing is as archaeologists begin to look in these areas where people say, no, nah, this story in Scripture isn't even true. There's no pool. They begin to look, and what they discover is there is um, a crusader-aged uh, uh, cathedral built on top of a Roman period um, pavilion, and underneath that Roman period pavilion is an old Jewish period pool that includes five porches, each with five pillars, and in that same area, uh, dating all the way through the Roman period, they have examples of uh, inscriptions of people being healed at that pool. So, uh, inscriptions of arms uh, that, that demonstrate the arms being healed or uh, accounts written down on tablets saying that this is the location where someone else was healed. It, it is historically a place where not only did the Jewish people go there to be healed, but it's what was found all over the Roman Empire called an escapulon. It's, it's a healing pool where people that were sick would show up to be healed. And people that were nurses, people that were doctors, people that cared for the people who were, um, who were incapable of taking care of themselves, they would gather in these 
places of healing and care for them. And at this particular pool, it, it was said that the angel of the Lord would come and, and heal them. So not just through nursing care, but through divine intervention is what it was claimed at this pool. I just want to say that because I think we can, we can easily say these are just fairy tales. These are just stories. No, the location is known. The, the story is valid. In fact, the accounts of Scripture have more validity. Like, they're, they're more true than any other event in history. Like, the, the proof that Jesus lived, there is greater proof that Jesus lived and actually did what he says he did than there is that Shakespeare lived. And somebody's like, no, we read about Shakespeare in school. Correct. But prove his life existed. You can't do it as well as you can Jesus. So uh, they, they're at this place called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. It's an appropriate name for a pool of healing, isn't it? It's a place where people that were uh, sick, people that were uh, hurting, th that they could go to and they could know that they would receive care in a house of mercy. And that's what the church should be. The church should be a place of mercy. The church should never be a place of judgment. The church should never be a place where you've got to think, act, and look like everybody else in order to receive mercy. The church should be a house of healing. Am I right? It should be a place of mercy. And these people were in a place where they were looking for mercy, and they were in the right place, but the mercy or the healing they were looking for was limited. They were in the right place to receive mercy, but the mercy they received was not full. It says that they were blind, that they were lame, and that they were paralyzed. And these people were literally blind, lame, and paralyzed. And, and because of that, a lot of us that are able-bodied, we quickly write this story off as though it's for someone else. I'm not blind. I'm not lame. I'm not paralyzed. doesn't have to do with me. And, and I want to say, no, that's, that's not entirely accurate because there is the literal understanding of the scripture, but there is also the spiritual application of the scripture. And there are men and women, even under the sound of my voice right now, that if you were honest, you would say, you're blind. No, no real vision for life. No real hope for the future. I, I, would, I would say to our younger crowd, like, I love you guys. But don't allow yourself to become blind to the preferred vision of God for your life. I'm saying, young men, that don't just be caught up in the amusement of the day, but God has purpose and plans for your life. Like, like there are some of you that, that God is calling in this room to go and, and maybe evangelize or go be missionaries in some foreign country. And there are some of you that maybe God is calling to go and be a counselor and to minister to those who are hurting inside. And there are some of you who God is calling to be an entrepreneur, to, to, to make bucket loads of money. 
And you're like, like, how is that a spiritual thing? No, when God calls you to whatever the task is, it is a spiritual thing. And it is, for some people in this room, you've just got a small mentality. You just think, no, I'm just, I was raised in an average family by average parents with average income, and so I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm saying, maybe you're blind to the vision that God has for your life. Maybe God wants you to make massive amounts of money so you can bless the community and those that are in need, and so you can really make tangible change in the world around you. I'd say, I'd say, open your eyes to what God really wants for your life. And then it says there were people that were lame. They, they could get around. They were just limited in their ability to function. They, they still operated. They, they were just limited in what they could do. Many of us... We, we're capable, we, we do the things we sense God calling us to do, but ultimately we, we are limited by our experiences or limited by our, our mindsets, limited by the world around us or limited by what people have said or thought about us. And then it says there were people that were paralyzed, just frozen. Frozen by life's experiences. Perhaps there's somebody in the room today that you, you are just emotionally paralyzed because you've been through so much difficulty with relationships that you've become emotionally unavailable to the people in your life that need you to open up the most. Maybe you're a dad today and, and it just working grinding at work every day has just become such an emotional weight on you that when you come home from work, you are emotionally paralyzed. And you see your kids, but, but don't realize that those kids need something from you. And it's not because they're needy. It's not because they're demanding. It's because you are their father. Or maybe for you, you're, you're paralyzed because... Financially, you've struggled before, and, and so now you're just so afraid that, that the bottom's going to fall out again, and it's, it's never going to be right, and so you're just afraid to make any real decisions in life, or, or perhaps you actually felt vision, like you felt God's called me to, to generate wealth for, for family legacy and for kingdom, like for, to change the world around me, and, and God's called me to that, and you've attempted to start a business a couple of times, and you fell flat on your face, and because of failure, you're now paralyzed from ever getting up and dusting yourself off and trying again. And so now you slink back into the places of security and ease. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And then it says this, and one who was there, he had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Number one, dumb question. But it says of this man that he's, he's an invalid for 38 years. What, what this means is he, he wasn't born this way. He's been this way for a long time, but... The word invalid means that he experienced either a sickness or an injury of some sort that has caused him to be lame. 
So whether it was the decision of somebody else or perhaps an accident or maybe something he brought on himself, whatever the case, he knows what it's like to live without his injuries. Now, let me say it like this. Like his issue is the thing that has caused his issue. Like the real issue of his life is the thing that has now paralyzed him or made him lame. And, and th this man is, has struggled. And, and we, we can debate and we can ask what it was that caused him to be in this situation, whether it was an illness or whether it was a sickness. Uh, I, I think we do have a clue from the text because Jesus at the end actually tells the man, go and sin no more or else something, else, something worse might happen to you. I think Jesus is telling him, uh, like, I know the stupid decision you made <laughs> that brought this, like, possibly it could be, that could be what's going on here. But this man has experienced pain. And, and John takes the time to tell us it's been 38 years. This is not like some simple, like, short thing. 38 years, that's, that's longer than most of the people in the room have been alive. That's a, that's a long time that he's struggled with an issue that he didn't anticipate to have in his life. And Jesus walks up and has the nerve to say, do you want to be healed? I think what Jesus is doing is he's, he's taking the length of this issue and he's putting it right next to an answer. And he's saying this, like, the time or the length of time that you've had in your issue is not sovereign in your life because, because that's where we go. Like I've struggled with this addiction for 30 years and so I will always struggle with this addiction. And Jesus, his response in the moment is, do you want to be made well? No, but I, I've just always struggled with, with this area of my life. I've just never been able to get over this area of my life. And so it's just always going to be this way. And Jesus is saying, time, the length of exposure to the trauma in your life is not sovereign. You serve a God that has good thoughts towards you. You serve a God that has a plan for you. And so when Jesus shows up in this guy's life, things begin to change. Jesus asks him, he says, do you want me to heal you? Do, do you want me to heal you? And can I tell you that Jesus is the answer? So, so whatever your issue is in life, like if it's your marriage, Jesus is the answer. If it's your mind, Jesus is the answer. If it's your finances, Jesus is the answer. If, if it's like direction in life, Jesus is the answer. And so anytime the answer asks you a question, he's not actually asking you a question. When the answer asks you a question, he's really providing you with an answer. And what he's really looking for here is in this moment, he's saying, do you want for you what I want for you? Like, like I know life has thrown you a difficulty. I, I know that things have not turned out like you had hoped, but do you still have hope that things can be what I want them for you? It, it's in this moment that Jesus is asking this man to make a decision. Like, like our salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, but the power of God often works coupled with a decision that we make alongside of the decision of God. What I'm saying is we join in his desire for our lives. It's in those moments where 
where, where a decision is coupled with the will of God that the miraculous takes place. I mean, think about the, the boy, or, or the, the boy who, the, the official son, we spoke about him two weeks ago, official son. The decision was, the, the official sees his son is sick, makes a decision, I'm running to Jesus. Jesus says, your son is healed, go home. He makes a decision to go home. Now, there's the, the, the wine, or the water turning to wine. They're at the, the, the celebration, and, and Jesus' mother sees that there's no wine. She makes a decision, and she says, let's do whatever he says. Blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming through the community, and blind Bartimaeus makes a decision. I'm going to get loud. I'm going to get crazy until I attract his attention. The Syrophoenician woman who has a daughter who is uh, being oppressed by evil spirits, she makes a decision to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy on my daughter. And Jesus responds to her with a racist slur. He calls her a dog. She has a decision. Do I get offended? Or do I say even the dogs get the crumb from the master's table? Saying that so many of us, we, we sit just sort of passively waiting for whatever will be to be. And I'm saying God has a preferred plan for your life. Will you make a decision to join him in that preferred plan? And it's, it's this decision that's it's actually probably stirring up emotions in the man, if you think about it. It's not like, like a logical decision. It's a, can you get beyond me touching your biggest insecurity? Can, can you allow me to, to reach into the, the heartbreak of your life and, and ask if you want that area you've hoped for so long would change? Are you willing to let me address it? Because it's, it's one thing for us to know things of God. It's, it's another thing for us emotionally to respond well to it. I'm saying it like this. Like, it's one thing for us to know that we need to pray, to know that we want to have a better walk with God. It's another thing to really want to pray. It's one thing to want to know things about the word of God and to have a, a good grasp on the word of God and to be um, a, a good uh, workman that's, that's not ashamed with the word of God. But it's another thing to really have the desire to pick up your Bible and read it. It, it's, it's one thing to want God to, to work in our relationships and change and transform things. It's another thing when he says, Forgive him. <laughs> it's one thing when, when we want change, but when God says, pray for those that despitefully use you. Love your enemy. Like, it's an emotional response. And the truth is this. We think all of our decisions towards God are these, these heady decisions, but most of them are driven by our emotional response to what God is touching in our lives. And if the enemy of your soul can hide the, what drives your decisions, he can control your decisions. 
We think we're all objective, but we're not objective. We're driven by our feelings. And so Jesus asks him this crazy question, do you want to be healed? I've been here for 38 years, Jesus. Yeah. But that's not what he says. What he says is this. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He doesn't even give Jesus a direct answer, and I think it's because there's just so much disappointment in his life up until this point. It's hard to have hope when you have disappointment. It's really hard to believe in God's preferred future for your life when it feels like every time you've done that in the past, it didn't work out. I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced that, but have just real big faith that God's going to do something in an area of your life, and it just seems like as the days progress, it gets farther and farther and farther away from what you had hoped God had planned for your life. Disappointment over time in our past creates discouragement in our future. I'm saying when you have a series of disappointments, and disappointment is any time that your expectation and your reality, there's a gap between the expectation and the reality. That creates disappointment. And if you do that enough times in a sequence, what happens is you end up living under the cloud of discouragement in your life. Has anybody met someone who, who's just always discouraged? Like, like, like they're great people. They, they've got great faith in God, but, but if they were really honest, they're just discouraged most of the time. It, it's not because they're just a negative person. It's not because they just got to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. What it boils down to is life has thrown them so many disappointments, it's hard to really believe in the good things of God. And that's not a sin to struggle with disappointment. But what it does is it traps us inside discouragement. The Bible says it like this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope for love. Hope for change. Hope for a better job. Hope for a better foreman. It makes the heart's sick. And this man, he's, he's been this way for 38 years. He's just steeped in discouragement. And from his answer, we can see that he's also quite frustrated. He's frustrated with a lack of help. It's one thing to go through a struggle. It's one thing to go through the ongoing trauma of disappointment in your life. But it's another thing when you don't have help. And this guy has watched as other people got the help they needed and he didn't get the help he needed. Can you imagine what that's like to just watch other people, have the people rally behind them and support them through their difficulty, but, 
but he's not experiencing the people rallying behind him. And, and it's not, his answer isn't telling us he's mad at other people for receiving a blessing. From, he's not mad at them for receiving a blessing. He's, he's happy. God's doing a work in their life. What's frustrating is he just doesn't get it himself. It's confusing. It's a struggle. Raising a child without help, it's a struggle, and it shouldn't be that way. Raising a grandchild by yourself and other people get to enjoy the late years of their life and you're stuck with the struggle. I'm just saying like, it's so hard when other people have the blessing of help and you don't. That's why we do groups around here, church. We believe the church should be the body of Christ. We believe that you should have people in your corner. We believe that you should have people that know when you're not doing well and pray for you. We believe that when you've got COVID and you need someone to bring you a bucket full of vitamin C, you got people that bring you a bucket full of vitamin C. And this man is also dealing with just a series of missed moments in his life. You know what I'm saying? Like those opportunities that you should have taken but you didn't take. Those, those chances that you should have taken but you didn't get the chance. The things that other people did get. It's just a series. And, and perhaps he's been there for 38 years, but perhaps he's got like a sister somewhere that she got married. But because he's stuck at the pool of healing... He didn't even get to go to her wedding. Or, or maybe he was old enough to have children, and so he didn't get to watch his son go to baseball. Or maybe he didn't get to watch his, his daughter graduate high school. I'm just, I'm just saying there's a series of missed moments that just makes us really struggle with believing God can make a difference now. But Jesus says to him, Jesus doesn't respond to all the negatives. His response to his excuses and his struggle is this. Agree with me. Join with me. Make a decision with me. That's what he's saying. Join with me. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. And he picked up his mat, and he walked. Like if I was that guy, I'd be like, Jesus, you don't think I thought of getting up. Jesus, you don't think when I said everyone gets to the pool before me, you don't think in that moment I'm trying to get up every single time. Like can you imagine the nerve of Jesus? Like he's, he just comes across so insensitive right here. He says, just get up. Pick up your mat and move on. Because when God is going to do a work in your life, he usually does touch those areas of insecurity in your life. It's in those moments where he says, Moses, I know you stutter and you really struggle talking to people, but I'm going to make you a speaker. 
It's, it's in those moments where he says, Jonah, I know you wrestle with hatred, but what I want you to do is I want you to go extend my forgiveness and grace to all the people you hate. It's in those moments where he goes to Naaman and says, Naaman, uh, like, I, I know you're sophisticated and you drive this nice car and you've got your life figured out. I want you to go dunk in a dirty river, dirty river seven times. And Naaman has to wrestle with the insecurities of what other people think about him and go into the river seven times. It's in those moments when, when God says, love your enemies, where, where you, you've got every right to hold something against somebody else. And God says, no, if I'm going to do a work in your life, you have to love your enemies. And it exposes the insecurities of our life. And that's where God does his greatest work. It just doesn't seem fair of God to tell us to do something that we don't think we can do. But perhaps God, as the one who designed you, he knows more about your capacity than you do. Maybe he knows more about your capacity to love and care for others than you do. Maybe he knows more about you because he designed you. He tells him to get up as the band would come. He, he wants this man to do something this man has not done for 38 years. And I know I'm talking to men and women in this room that I don't have to call out exactly what it is that your life is blind, lame, or paralyzed. Like, I don't have to name the exact kind of addiction, the exact kind of stressors, the exact kind of pains you've walked with for your life. But what I'm saying is this, you know what those things are. And, and Jesus' call to you is stop judging your future based on your past. Time to get up. It's time to get up because this time it's different where, where you failed before because your old friends weren't enough to really lift you up, get up. Where you failed before because other people abandoned you in your time of need, get up. Where you fell short of success before, get up. The areas that caused you to cry in your suffering before. And God says, it's time to stand up. Join me. Stand up. Get, come with me. Stand up. Because the place of your greatest pain, he wants to leverage it as the moment that, that your life is defined by. The moment when God intervenes and changes everything. I just wonder if there's a man or a woman in this room that you're just sick of struggling with the same thing year after year after year, year after year, and you're just ready to stand up and say, no, no more. I'm not going to be a man of anger anymore. I'm not going to be a woman of insecurity anymore. I'm going to be what God calls me to be. And then he stands up and he picks up his mat, just like Jesus said. And when I read that, I think, why? Why would you carry some sort of a token of your struggle? Like, why would you pick up the thing that held you captive for so long? Like, why would, you sat there on that stinky mat for 38 years. If, if I was you, I'd want to get rid of that thing. And Jesus says, take it with you. 
And the man, he, he responds in obedience and he, he takes it with him. And I think the reason why Jesus is saying, take your mat is, he's saying, this isn't your home anymore. He's saying, if you leave your mat on the ground, you've got a place to return. Like Jesus isn't just like name it and claim it, like blab it and grab it. Like that's, that's not what he's doing here. He's saying, we're gonna perform a miracle, but then there's gonna be a very practical next step. And that very practical next step looks like some things in your life need to change. You need to take away your, your, your reserved sign out of some areas of your life. That there's somebody, you, you, you've been delivered from some things in your life, but you haven't deleted somebody's phone number yet. And I'm saying, God says, take up your mat and walk. Like, it's time for somebody to say, uh, he delivered me from my addictions, but it's time I delete everybody that I'm associated with. Get them out of my, I don't need their phone numbers. It needs to come as return to sender. I'm t- like, like he, he healed you of your pornography addiction, but it might just be time to get rid of your smartphone and say I'm going back to a flip phone what would someone think about me I don't care what someone thinks about you return to sender like get rid of that stuff go back say I'm taking my mat I'm not leaving a spot for me there anymore like that that resentment that's been in my marriage for years I'm gonna settle that thing I'm gonna deal with that thing I'm not leaving a placeholder for resentment in my marriage any longer what's so amazing about this whole thing is this because we get it in our head that he he expects us to get everything right before he'll do anything in our lives this man doesn't make some sort of an orthodox confession of faith in fact when people ask him later what happened he doesn't even know what happened he just says I it was just the guy that healed me that told me to walk like like he Jesus didn't say, like, you've got to know that I am the Word of God in flesh. He didn't say that. No orthodox confession of faith. Instead, just obedience and the healing virtue of God. I'm telling somebody today that this part of Christianity is for you even if you don't believe yet. Transformation is yours. He's a God that's for you. What's amazing is this. This whole passage ends with the most pivotal phrase, and I'm ending on that. It says, and the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And why that's so important is this. The man picks up his mat and begins to walk. And as he does that, there are religious leaders that see him and they know that in the Mishnah, there are 37 categories of things you cannot do on a Sabbath day. And carrying a mat is literally one of them. And they're saying, you are breaking the rules. You are breaking the law. How can you, you can't do this. And then they ask him, who gives you the right? Who told you to carry your mat? Who told you that you can change? Who told you that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic? Who told you that that's a lie? Who told you 
that you could go from being a person that was abused to being someone that, like, who told you? Because you once, once abused, always a victim. And he said, no, 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 no. I've been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Once an addict, always, no. I've been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. I've picked up my mat and I'm walking. And they say, who gave you the authority? He says, I, I don't know. What I know is this. I was lame and Jesus spoke to me and he said you can get up and you can move on and through his authority and through his power my life was changed I'm telling somebody today that the things that have held you for years don't have to have a hold on you any longer he gives you the right he gives you the authority would you stand with me all across the room I wonder if there's some men or some women. You, you, I don't have to say what the area of your life is that's been there for 38 years or however long it's been for you. I don't have to say that. But you know what it is. And you're ready to get up, take your mat, and move on. You're ready to experience the transforming power of God and then take practical steps behind it. If that's you... I want you to just, you don't have to tell the person next to you what it is. I just want you to like imaginary, like grab that thing, that relationship, that insecurity, that addiction. And I want you to lift it towards the Lord right now. We're going to pray. If that's you, come on, I see some bold people that aren't afraid to have issues. You know, this is a church. You're, you're welcome to bleed here. You're welcome to hurt here. This is a house of mercy. And if that's you in this house right now and you're ready to be free, I'm going to pray and you're going to join with me. And maybe you're standing next to somebody whose hands are raised. Reach out and touch them right now. We're, play, we're praying for a deliverance, for divine healing right now. Right now in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name that is above every other name. Stronghold of disappointment, you have no authority. Discouragement, you have no strength in our lives. God, I pray right now for the person who has had a series of, of hopes and opportunities that seem to never follow through. God, I pray right now that your strength would rise up inside of this man, inside of this woman. God, that our courage would be in you. That our faith would be in you that rise up again, step forward in faith again and hope again, believe again. God, I pray for the person that's sick in their body right now that you'd heal them by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your word says that by your stripes we are healed. So right now, Lord, do healing works in this room. God, I pray for the person that is lonely. says that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You're loyal to the end. Would you draw them close, Lord? And would you surround them with people 
that pull the goodness of God out of them, that build them up in their holy faith. Maybe you're in the room today and for you, you just feel like, you just feel like I, I just need to get right with God. Something inside of you is just saying, I, I just know I'm far from God and I have got to change that right now. Listen, it's as easy as getting up. If that's you, you feel far from God and you're saying, I, I'm done being far from God. I, I'm running to Jesus right now. Would you put your hand up so I know who I'm talking to? A bold hand, you're in a house of healing. You're in a place of safety. Come on, I see some bold hands. And we're running to Jesus right now. Listen, it's, it's this easy to get back on track with him. It's this easy. We repent and we believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do and say that don't please God. And we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we do this, the Bible tells us the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It puts us in a conversation with God, a relationship with him. Join me. If that's you, you're ready to run to Jesus. Join me in a prayer, something like this. Use your own words, but something like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them right now. God, I don't want that in my life any longer. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again. So right now I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family, there's some people that just made the most important decision of your life. I'm, I'm done being here. I'm gonna pick up my mat. I'm gonna move on. Jesus and me. Two of us, Jesus and me, come on. I'm gonna move forward. Transformation for real change. In just a moment, we're gonna be doing baptisms and there are several people that are scheduled for baptisms. They, they've already planned on, on being baptized. But let me say this. If you just now put your faith in Jesus or perhaps you put your faith in Jesus 10 years ago, but you've never been baptized, you have not taken the next step. I'm saying, biblically, there, there is not a different step. Our faith goes in Jesus, next thing that happens, baptism. That's, that's the scriptural order. It's not join a small group, it's not tithe, it's, it's not you know, pick up a hammer and go help build houses, that's not what it is. Those things are all good. If your faith is in Jesus, your next step is baptism. 
And so there's many that are ready to get baptized. If you're here today and you're like, actually, I want to do that right now, we're ready for you. We have towels. We have shorts. We have t-shirts. We got makeup. We got deodorant. We got a gold bomb. We got whatever you need, right? We got, we got it all. So for those that are already planning to be baptized, that maybe, or, and those that maybe aren't, if you want to get baptized, I want you to get up. Would you guys put your hands up over there? Come on. Yep. I want you to go to these guys. They will direct you to the changing rooms and to any supplies you need. Take your next step. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.